One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day Podcast with me, Sam Matterface, Talk Sports Chief Football Correspondent Alex Crook and European Football Expert Kevin Hatchard. All the fallout from the final day of the Premier League as Leicester and Leeds are relegated to the Championship. A thrilling day at Wembley as Luton Town will replace them in the Premier League next season after a thrilling penalty shootout win over Coventry at Wembley. We'll get Kev's verdict on the monumental collapse, the biggest choke maybe in football history as Borussia Dortmund throw away the title in the Bundesliga. And when the dust has settled in the Premier League, we'll give out our end of season Awards. It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Good morning, gentlemen. Hello. How are we? Everyone all right? Kev, hello. I'm good. A little fragile after some end of season drinks, but I'm ever oh, really? professional and here I am. All good. Okay, all that's good. usually Crook's role, to be honest. <laughs> I've been inspired. <laughs> Good morning. I feel like I've been having end of season drinks for about a week, so uh, I can... Uh, I can... I've been Kev's having end from. of season drinks for 22 years, um, <laughs> constantly. Um, um, I was at uh, Leicester at the weekend. Crook was at the most bonkers game in the world, Southampton uh, for Liverpool. For Kev, you, where were you this weekend? I was uh, commentating on Schalke going down on uh, Saturday, so they were beaten mm. at Leipzig and went down. Massive football club that plays in blue. And I nearly sent down another massive football club that plays in blue on Sunday because it was commentating on Everton uh, and their final day game for Talk Sports International Service. And what an extraordinary atmosphere. And in the end, what an extraordinary goal that kept them up. And they, they yeah. skirted very close to the edge, but they got there in the yes. end. Yes, they did skirt very close to the edge. And it's something they've made a habit of doing. We'll get to that in just a second. Leeds United down, Leicester down, Leicester uh, winning their game, but it's not enough because Everton won their match. And as a result of that, it was already out of their hands. It's a debate that we had last week on the podcast when Dean Smith went on Monday night to Newcastle and decided that, you know, a draw was going to be enough for them. It wasn't because they did their business on Sunday and they still got relegated. What happens to him next? What happens to Leicester next? Leeds United will be looking for a manager as well. Sam Allardyce furious afterwards after they committed what he called professional suicide losing a goal in the first 90 seconds of the first half and the first 90 seconds of the second half pretty pretty poor really bearing in mind that they needed to try and win to have any hope of staying up and uh, of course that Everton game which was so dramatic with that big goal from Abdullahi Decore. No one really celebrating no one too down afterwards the Leeds fans the Leicester fans all seemingly quite accepting of the fact they were probably going to be relegated. And Everton fans definitely not celebrating their success. So let's unpack the final day of the Premier League and look back on that scrape for survival. This is the Premier League and nothing is over until it's over. Horace sets up Son and Kane puts Spurs ahead. Harry Kane! Just destroys the atmosphere in Ellen Road at a stroke. Free kick in the left wing position into Fast. Fast rises, guides the ball in, and Leicester City have a lifeline, but their fate is in the hands of others. Can the Everton players do their job? Everton won, Bournemouth nil. Abdullah Decore has just smashed into the bottom corner from 25 yards. Charleston calling for in the box, but Lucas Moore is going to go alone. He's going to go all the way and score a quite magnificent goal. Now you can understand while Leeds have conceded 157 goals since the beginning of last season. Southampton 4, Liverpool 4. Manchester United 2, Fulham 1. Arsenal 5, Wolves 0. Chelsea 1, Newcastle 1. Bristol Palace 1, Nottingham Forest 1. That's it for Leeds dance, done and dusted. They are relegated, you can hear the boos that are ringing out around Ellen Road. And the final whistle will go, 
and Everton are safe. It's a devastating end to a golden period in Leicester's history. I was very sad to see professional suicide by our team today. Obviously devastated, um, you know, to lose, lose the Premier League status. Yeah, very pleasing for me, well, for me, my staff, the players, the fans, for the club. Aston Villa 2, Brighton 1, Villa finished seventh uh, after a seventh successive home win. They are back in Europe. Premier League season's over and the drama never stops. Well, the front page of the Liverpool Echo this morning, great big headline that just says survival. And then it says, but not success. A picture of Sean Dyche and the celebrations just as the goal went in and the words time for a change at Everton. And really, that's the narrative, isn't it, Crook? You know, this has happened far too often. They've just about got away with it season after season. Yeah, I think it's spot on um, from the local paper. Our own Tom Rennie actually tweeted after the game saying Everton will never, ever get relegated. And it does start to feel like there's an unwritten rule in football. It doesn't matter how close they skirt to the edge. When you were going through their previous great escapes, not just of the last few years, but of the Premier League era, they always seem to do just enough, Everton. They did it again. It wasn't a glorious victory. It was one they had to grind out. I actually thought Bournemouth, considering the horrible circumstances surrounding Neto and his absence from the squad and how that would have affected his teammates and the fact they had nothing to play for. I think they gave a really good effort and Everton maybe can count themselves fortunate to come away with the victory. But certainly lessons need to be learned. They need a change of direction. Looks like that's going to happen with the takeover because for all Mashiri's good intentions, and I've said throughout and been consistent on this podcast, you can't question his commitment and his desire. He's put the money in. He's just spent it appallingly badly to assemble a bit of a ragtag squad. So whoever comes in now, they need to work out a different direction. I think Sean Dyche has earned the right to stay on now and, and lead them into this new era. But they have to make sure they're not in the same position next season because surely their luck will run out. Yeah, I mean, it was the first time in 25 years that they had to contest their their Premier League place on the final day of the season. But we know that it's been the final home game of the season or two games out over the course of a campaign that they were scrapping to stay in the league. And, and it is something that's happened too often. And you look back at the statistics over the course of the season, Kev. You know, look, they, they scored 34 goals yeah. all campaign, only 16 at home. I mean, that's a paltry return for a squad. I mean, there's got no little talent in it. I mean, there is there is talent there. Yeah, there is talent there, but the stats are interesting, Sam, because as I was prepping for the game, every statistic was worst ever. Worst ever in the Premier League. Never mm. lost 10 games at home before. I mean, it was mm. a really dreadful season. And it, it's the imbalanced nature of the squad. So... On Sunday, Ducouré really stepped up. I thought James Garner was outstanding in a makeshift role. He was playing on that right-hand side in a defensive role. I thought he did really, really well. They've got some quality. I thought Iwobi had a forceful game as well. But Trevor Stephen was alongside me, the, the former Everton star. And he was marvelling at the fact that how can you have a squad whereby if Dominic Calvert-Lewin is absent, as he has been many times, through no fault lot, of his yeah. own, but he has been, <laughs> you then have no centre-forward. And the ones that you do have, you don't trust. So, yes, Sims came on second half. Mope didn't come on at all. And you have moments in that very nervy first half where you were having crosses into the box that would have been perfect for a centre-forward. Just didn't have one. It was interesting because when the lineups came out, Trevor Sinclair's like, what's he doing? I don't understand. How, how is he lining this team up? And then even after the game, when they'd won the match, he was, he was on TalkSport and he was suggesting, I, I, I know they've won. I'm sort of pleased for them that they've stayed up, but I don't know how they've done it because basically they just put out a lot of defenders and people, midfielders in makeshift positions and, and, and didn't have the striker to convert any chances. It was a very unattacking lineup, but that was because of circumstance, right? They didn't have um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and he clearly doesn't think that Sims is up to the grade and he obviously doesn't think Neil Mopé is up to the, the grade as well, Crook. So there will be quite a lot of transfer activity, I would have thought, um, at Everton if they've got the money to do it. And that's another big problem, isn't it? Because they didn't have two beans to rub together in January. This was something that Frank Lampard struggled with. He wasn't allowed to bring in any players. Yeah, Neil Mopay, I think, is a contender for one of the worst signings of the season. You know, Brighton couldn't believe their luck uh, when Everton and Fulham, actually, and Forrest were, were beating the door down for a striker who, you know, 
he can be a pain in the backside, but he just doesn't score any goals. Uh, and that's not going to help a squad like Everton. There is the elephant in the room here, by the way, and that's the threat of potential legal challenges from those teams who've gone down to the Premier League because, of course, you've got these FFP charges hanging over Everton's head. It might result in a points deduction. We don't know when that will be. But I think if you're a Leicester or a Leeds director, you're going to be asking some serious questions of the Premier League and, and why the, those charges didn't come to a resolution sooner. Mm. How long do we think that that will take to sort out? Because if uh, the Manchester City case is anything to go by, it rumbles on for years, doesn't it? I mean, I don't think we're going to get a quick resolution on that. No, I agree, because as we've seen from City, there'll be challenges and and, and counter-challenges. But I know there has been talk amongst other clubs down at the bottom Mm. of the table, even those who had already guaranteed their, their Premier League future before the final day of the season, that... If Everton did stay up, then there could well be some ramifications. So I think it's definitely one to keep an eye on over the course of the summer. Yeah, um, a quick look at Bournemouth. They considered 71 goals this season. That's been their undoing. Um, they've actually done very well to stay in the league, but that's something they'll have to plug next season. So Leicester, who end up falling, and Leeds, who end up falling instead of Everton, who uh, the inquest, I'm sure, will go on for a long time as to how to improve that team, that squad, that club. Uh, they've got a, a loan that's been agreed about how they can get more cash injected to their stadium project so they can get that completed in the not-too-distant future. But uh, there's financial issues at Leicester that need to be resolved because they've got a loan that's secured against the future Premier League TV rights. And there's no more Premier League TV rights, Kevin. So they're going to be relying on those parachute payments and then trying to come back. In truth, Dean Smith, how would you assess his eight weeks in charge? He had some tough fixtures, no doubt about that. But you're all tough at... fixtures in the Premier League, Kev. Yes, that's very true. That's very true. You look at the body and of no work. No such it's thing as must-win game, allegedly. <laughs> it, it's just not enough the, from the talent that they have. But you can't pin it all on him because ultimately, as has been the case with so many clubs that have struggled this season, there have been bad mistakes at the top because I think you either. Let Brendan Rodgers go earlier in the season and give a new manager a genuine opportunity to put their stamp on it and turn things around and get them moving. Or you stick with him for the whole season. And they got stuck in this halfway house that didn't really work. And in the end, I wonder if it just took that group of players far too long to realise they were in a relegation battle. Because if you look at teams that expect to be there, you know, like a Bournemouth, for example. Not that they didn't take it seriously, but I do think there's a difference in that edge. And I do wonder if Leicester was just sleepwalking for too long and in the end gave themselves too much to do. It's really quite extraordinary when you look at the quality of their squads. And there are gaps in it. Uh, and they were, haven't been able to make many signings. But that squad shouldn't have gone down. And so... They have to seriously look at themselves. Guys like Madison, I think, can hold their heads high. I think he performed. I think you look at his numbers. That shows that. But a lot of them didn't. Well, I mean, you look at Madison's numbers, uh, double figures for goals. And I think it was nine assists in the end. He certainly played a part in the uh, goal that they scored yesterday. I can't remember if that was an assist or not. Um, but he uh, he certainly played a part in their uh, in, in their better moments. But also, maybe he was part of the issue in in the fact that he sent that tweet out which suggested that all was okay, everything was going to be all right. Why are people attacking us? Why why was Rob Tanner of The Athletic deconstructing a performance and suggesting that relegation could be on the cards? I think the headline was, all the ingredients for relegation are there. Um, when we're playing so well, he, he couldn't understand it. Well, as a result of that, maybe there's a warning to other clubs you're not too good to go down. It doesn't matter about the quality in your squad. Application, aggression, the ability to dig in and pull out results when you need to, needs to be there too. And they didn't have that until right at the very end. By the time they realised that they were in a relegation battle, Crook, it was all over for them. Yeah, I think sometimes when, when teams go down, we can, we can overanalyse, we can overthink it. I, I think if you look at Leicester, and I would say Southampton as well, the reason those two clubs have been relegated is basically because they both displayed a lack of character. Leicester, probably because they had this arrogance from top to bottom that they weren't actually under threat of relegation. But, you know, people like Yuri Tillemans, who's just let his contract run down, 
he was so poor when the going got tough for Leicester, you know, and this is one of their better players when they were mm. winning FA Cups. He scored the winner in the final of the FA Cup when they were challenging for the top four. But when they really needed him to dig in and produce the type of performance that he's capable of, he went missing. And he wasn't the only one. I didn't think Harvey Barnes was great in the final weeks of the season. Defensively, they were all over the show. But I'd take their decline right back to the summer and that decision to let Kasper Schmeichel walk out and join Nice. You know, I think when he was working for television on one of their games towards the end of the season, you could see what the club still meant to him. That was a massive character they allowed to walk out the dressing room. Didn't replace him in terms of temperament or quality because both their goalkeepers were rubbish when it comes to Premier League. Southampton as well. Uh, really but who did... do you blame for that? Because ultimately, it's all right, it's turning around, it's okay turning around and saying, yeah, 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 it's because they didn't replace Kasper Schmeichel. But whose fault was that? Because it wasn't Brendan Rodgers. He wanted to bring in a goalkeeper who could only bring in Alex Smithies, for God's sakes. And with all due respect to Alex Smithies, I mean, he, he's, he's not exactly a Premier League goalkeeper, is he? You know, and they weren't given the resources to be able to replenish the squad that Rodgers wanted to replenish. They've gone from being an average top seven team over the course of the last seven seasons. I think two fifth finishes, one eighth, one seventh over the course of the cam- the last four campaigns to being relegated the very next. Now, that's a steep decline. That's that's a vertical drop. That's, that's, that's an amazing drop off in terms of performance. So when Brendan Rodgers walked into the dressing room 18 months, uh, 18 months ago and assesses, actually, this group needs a refresh. It needs a change. Why haven't the club responded to that? Is it financial fair play? Is it because they, they got hit during the COVID pandemic with um, the duty three business wasn't working as much for them? So they lost a lot of money behind the scenes, the King Power Group. Or is it because actually there, there's something else going on that we're not entirely uh, aware of? Well, it's interesting because I, I think they did get hit during COVID. But then, as you know, I'm a keen horse racing fan and, the, and their horse racing stable is still in, in, in really decent nick. So clearly they're still investing in that part of their, their sports franchise, if you like. But slowly but surely, they did let that Leicester squad fall into a state of disrepair. Brendan Rodgers is not blameless because you look at some of the players that he did spend money on. I could have told him not to sign Yannick Vestergaard. I could have told him that he wasn't very good or the best character. He didn't spend money on Ryan Bertrand. But again, I could have told him to run a mile from that signing. I mean, I don't think he's been training even Ryan Bertrand for much of this season, let alone trying to get out on the football pitch and helping his team. So uh, I think it's a deadly combination of, of things that ultimately have all come together to get them relegated. And I do fear, you know, when you look at the finances, I'm not sure they come back quickly, Leicester. Well, that loan is um, is has is, got to be sorted out, hasn't it, in terms of the way they restructure the payments for that. And uh, the parachute payments will be eaten up over the next two years. So if they don't get promoted in the next two years, it's going to be really difficult to sort of service the needs of that entity. They've got one of the best training grounds in the world. I, mean, I did read a report last night saying that one of the train the training ground was half the problem because um, it was too sterile and it sort of killed the atmosphere and camaraderie of the club, which seems a bit strange, really. You've got this one hundred million pound training ground, and it, you know it's, it's 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 not doing what it's supposed to. Surely they would have sorted out the feng shui if you've got you know that much money to design a, a huge, great big training complex. You get an architect in and also make sure that the energy is right in in, in the room. Let's move on to Leeds United, and the mood there isn't particularly great either. Um, the energy in that particular boardroom has been off all season. Very weird um, campaign, really, when you think about it carefully. Adri, Andrea uh, Radrazzani, Victor Orta, Orta leaving towards the end. Jesse Marsh telling everybody that um, they've uh, cracked it at the beginning of the season, then... <laughs> They ended up, the crack started appearing very quickly after that for him. He was sacked. Then they brought in Javi Grazia. They sacked Jesse Marsh, didn't really know what they were doing, who they were going to replace him with. Replacing him with a guy who'd been working in the Qatar Star League, uh, which is baffling in itself. And then brought in Big Sam for the final four games of the season. What are you laughing for? It's not funny if you're a Leeds fan. It's just bonkers. But it just sort of sums up the sort of the bonkers arrangement that Leeds have been working under over the course of the last few years. It's all been very chaotic. It's all felt very sort of, um, I don't know, on the edge from, from from the minute that Marcelo Bielsa walked into the room. There's not much sort of calmness and cool heads in that particular ballroom, is there? I mean, you know, there is, but I just don't think they've got any power. <laughs> it just sounded funny as you, as you were running through their timeline of, of disaster. Um, and, but again, I wouldn't overanalyze Leeds. I think you look at their defence, they're just poor. They're not Premier League players. The recruitment has been terrible. Exhibit A 
Weston McKenney, again, another contender with Mope for dud signing of the season. But also, have you ever seen a manager age in the space of four games like Sam Allardyce? He looked like he'd aged about 10 years by the end of the match yesterday. And actually, him just shaking his head as they conceded that second goal right at the start of the second half, as they had in the first. It was almost him saying, what am I going to do with this bunch? Do you know what I mean? I've yeah. tried my best. This is Sam Allardyce. The one thing you know he's good at is organising defences and being pragmatic. But that back line was too big a challenge even for him. That goal that they scored the second go- in the second half was ridiculous. And then the Lucas Moura goal, <laughs> was, it was embarrassing. They conceded 78 goals this season, Leeds United. Honestly, they could have scored. A, they could have conceded a hundred goals. They were that bad de- defensively. The problem is when you concede seventy-eight goals, Kev. That means that you need to score two goals a game just to get a point in each of those games. It's pretty tough. That. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> Look, I think it starts with Bielsa. Bielsa, inspirational. No, there's no two ways about that. But his football is high risk. It always was. Now, what happens then, if you try and pivot away from that, you have a situation where players get into bad habits. They're used to a certain type of football. And then when you take the goal scoring part of it away, all you're left with is bad defensive habits and spaces opening up. And they've made the wrong turn every single time because getting rid of Bielsa even though it worked in terms of keeping them up, I think was a mistake. Jesse Marsh coming in was a mistake. But then if you're going to have Jesse Marsh, you don't go out and bring in a load of players that he wants and he's worked with and then bin him just days after the transfer. That was so strange. That was such a strange thing to do. But that just sort of sums up the chaotic ownership, doesn't it? You know, I know there's the, the 49ers are about to come in and take over. Um, Victor Orta wasn't a popular figure for a very long time. He was a sporting director that never seemed to realise that you have to sign midfield players in order to protect a defence. Otherwise, you're going to be in a spot of bother. They signed Jorginho Ruter for £35 million from Hoffenheim. He didn't really score too many goals when he was in the Bundesliga. Um, he, he managed to inflate his trade transfer fee from, I think, about €5 million Euros the previous January to €35 million euros the next January when he went to Leeds without really doing that much at Hoffenheim it's quite impressive that that, that, that that's that's some that's some feat so that's that's not great recruitment which has been sort of the staple of of what they've done over the course of the last few years they've still got players like with all due respect Ailing and Cooper who are good professionals who will work hard they will do their very best but you would have thought by now on the journey that Leeds have been on Crook that they would have upgraded those positions yeah. And again, they did spend money. They just spent it poorly. I mean, the Ruter one, I think it stinks, to be honest, that Ruter signing. You know, when you've when you when you got a record signing, whose only contribution is to score a goal in an under-21 cup final. I think Leeds fans have got to ask some serious questions about that one. Uh, I mentioned Weston McKenney. They signed a lot of players that were known to Jesse Marsh to, to fit his style of play, and they sacked Jesse Marsh shortly after the transfer window had ended. So again, you look, you look at their decline, a lack of quality, poor decisions from the top. I think arguably the four worst run teams in the Premier League, if you take Chelsea out of the equation because they've just been bonkers, but the four worst nearly run got teams down there. The they nearly League got down there. They did their best. Filled the bottom four places. Um, and the better run clubs are the ones that have stayed up. You look at Bournemouth, they decided to part company with Scott Parker there early. You, you could argue they've decided to part company with Scott Parker before the Premier League season had even begun, and he gave them the perfect excuse to do so. They got Gary O'Neill in. There was a bit of noise from some section of the fan base when he wasn't winning games after the World Cup to get rid of him. Bill Foley was never going to do that, and ultimately they've reaped the rewards for it. I, I don't think the Bournemouth squad is that much better than a lot of the teams that have finished below them, but they had that character and they had a plan. And that character is important, isn't it? I was going back through the West Ham game that Leeds played the other week, and if you look at the statistics, it's you know, it's 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 terrible. Rodrigo scores the goal. There are nineteen more shots in the game after Rodrigo scores the goal. Bearing in mind Leeds United needed to win that game against West Ham the previous week before the end of the season. And and, and fourteen of them were from West Ham. Yeah. West Ham had nothing to play for. So how how does that happen? And once they 
get a goal scored against them, a little bit like Leicester. They have the collapse gene. They just fall apart. And it is that character. It is that glue that binds you together in those tough moments. And neither of those two teams had it. Everton maybe a little bit instilled to them. Uh, when Sean Dyche came in, there was a lot of 1-0 wins towards the end of the season. They just about got over the line, but they're not particularly impressive either. And there's a lot of work uh, to do there, that's for sure. Quick word on Southampton. They change uh, manager in the summer. There's a few players that are leaving as well. Um, are they going to have enough to sort of assault the championship and try and get back up or are they going to find themselves in a in a bit of trouble? They've got, they've got some players that, if they stick around, might give them a chance, and haven't they? Yeah, this this fellow, Camaldine Suleimana, the, the record signing they've been reluctant to use since January, he looked like Lionel Messi at times yesterday. I mean, the, the second goal he scored is absolutely wonderful. Um, so if they hang on to him, you've got to think that he'll do a good job in the championship. I think the goalkeeper, Bazunu, probably will benefit from a year in the second tier, having been promoted too early. They're going to lose players. James Ward-Prowse, I think, you know, made it pretty clear with his uh, lap of honour at the end that he's going to leave. It'll be interesting to see what type of club he, he pitches up at. I think Romeo Lavia will go for decent money. I think they're the best equipped, actually, of the three that are going down because they're, financially they're on a pretty sound footing. Uh, they've got owners who are willing to invest. They've got players they can sell, like Ward-Prowse and Lavia, and generate fees. Russell Martin is coming in. They believe that a possession-based style is the best way to get out of the championship. If they make the right decisions with recruitment, and they haven't done so far, Sport Republic, I think they've got a great chance of bouncing straight back. Um, a possession-based way of playing is not necessarily the best way to get out of the championship, as Luton uh, displayed on Saturday. And we will look at, back on that championship playoff final in just a second, although Burnley probably will argue uh, with me on that. Um, quick word on Aston Villa, Kev, who've done a, a terrific job. And we should pay tribute to uh, Unai Emery. I said earlier in the season that he hadn't blown me away uh, in February um, when he uh, first came into the club. I'd sort of seen some of their games. I went to the Stevenage game when they lost and I was a bit sort of like, mm. but actually, I mean, they've done terrific, haven't they? Finishing seventh, qualifying for the Conference League. When you look at the statistics from when he took over to now, they've timed their run brilliantly. Uh, I think they've been a bit fortunate towards the end of the season when they've been playing some of the bigger teams and there hasn't been too much for those teams to play for and, and they've capitalised as well. But Watkins has done brilliant. 15 league goals. The first English player since Stan Collymore in the 90s to get 15 goals in one season uh, for... Uh, no, sorry. The first the first English player to get 15 goals for Aston Villa in the league since David Platt, which is quite some achievement. Wow. Um, but he'd scored a lot of goals, failed to score in the last six, then popped up with a goal yesterday. It's it's a great achievement from Unai Emery. Yeah, it is. And we spoke about him when he first came in. I feel he, I felt at the time this is a, an elite manager coming in, uh, their most important signing in many ways, and he's just liberated that team. Because the irony is people would think, you know, he's very rigid in what he does, he's very organised in what he does. But they've actually looked a lot more dangerous under him than they did under Stephen Gerrard, who I think got a bit stuck. And I think there were certain players who really didn't get moving under him. Ramsey, I think, is the perfect example of that. I think wow. he's a brilliant player. Wow. Um, I did write a note actually yesterday talking about, uh, I was preparing for a thing I'm doing on Manchester United in the week and I, looking at uh, where they need to improve. And I thought Jacob Ramsey would be a great signing for Manchester United. It's the kind of signing that Manchester United used to make. One of those good young players that has emerged very quickly and plays very well for another club sort of further down the league. And then they pinch him and they take him on. A bit of a sort of Paul Ince signing uh, from back in in the day. He's a terrific player, that Jacob Ramsey. I think yeah. he needs he needs the opportunity to flourish at maybe a, a higher level. Maybe Aston Villa can achieve that with Unai Emery. Uh, let's take a look back on that Saturday's action in the Championship playoff final as Luton joined Sheffield United and Burnley in joining us in the Premier League next season. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Fantastic Darvo places the ball down with a chance now to level up the shootout. He steps up, right footed and blazes it over the top of the crossbar. It's over for Coventry and Luton Town are back in the big time for the first time in 31 years. The orange shirts run towards their supporters in the east side of the ground and it's party time for Luton. It's a tripling blow for Fanchetti Darbo who blazes his kick high into the evening sky. It's jubilation. Well, it was going to be remarkable whatever side came up because of the story attached to both of them, Coventry being homeless, not having uh, the ability to play at the beginning of the season because of the pitch issues. They were 64 days on the bottom of the championship and then almost got to a position where they could get into the Premier League. Then you've got the journey from Luton, the joint fastest rise from nine, uh, nine years from non-league football into Premier League football. Remarkable. And it was a, a very strange game, wasn't it? In that it was it was great at what they both do. Luton booming balls into the box. Are they going to be able to do that in the Premier League, Crook? Uh, well, it'll be a culture shock for um, for a lot of the, the aristocrats in the Premier League, as will Kenilworth Road. It's a cliche, but I think that could be their biggest asset because big clubs are not going to like going there. It's going to be like a cup tie every week. Do I think they'll stay up, Luton? Probably not, to be honest. But, um, you know, it secures the future of the football club with those parachute payments and the riches that come with being in the Premier League. So it's an absolutely wonderful achievement. I love the fact that Rob Edwards has made Watford look absolutely ridiculous with their decision Mm. to get rid of him. And I I like Rob Edwards' story, actually. I'm going to sit down with him over the summer and and record an in-depth interview because his, his journey has been very interesting. There were times in his coaching career when he was working for free just to get himself on the ladder. He genuinely feared after what happened at Watford that maybe the phone wouldn't ring and he wouldn't get another club. And here he is as a Premier League manager. And you look at Perry, uh, Perry Radicampanzu as well, first player to play in all five divisions. He will be next season for the same club. It's just a wonderful story. And, you know, the fact the fans helped save them after they were docked 30 points. This is what football is about. This is what makes the English pyramid so unique and why it should be protected. Yeah, and I started my commentary actually on uh, Saturday of this game saying exactly that. This game, is ever a game, sort of identified or illustrated why the football pyramid needed to be cherished it, it is this particular match because it shows these two teams have come such a, a, a long way in such a short space of time in order to actually have that dream of playing in the Premier League. Um, lots of uh, memes flying about, about away days at uh, Kenilworth Road. They're going to do £12 million worth of work on uh, the stadium. They're going to knock down... The, the, one of the biggest features of Kenilworth Road, if you haven't been there, is the fact that on one side of the pitch, there's just no stand and just a load of what looks like double glazing showrooms. They're executive boxes <laughs> that were built in the 80s. They're, it looks dreadful. It really does. But they're going to knock all of that down and they're going to put a new stand in and it's going to have like 
different facilities, media facilities, gantries, all the kind of stuff that you need for the Premier League. Um, but uh, And it's going to take the capacity up a little bit as well. So I think it'll probably be about 11,000, 12,000 now instead of just the 10 uh, that uh, currently can get in there. I mean, it is a, a sort of romantic thing that maybe the last season that it gets or the last couple of seasons it gets will be in the Premier League. If I was Luton Town, I wouldn't... I mean, looking at the squad they've got, they haven't got a great deal of experience. So in terms of Premier League experience... It's going to be costly to try and replenish that and try and get some older heads and more experienced Premier League quality into the dressing room. I'd bank a lot of that money and think about the infrastructure. I think it's going to be difficult for them to stay up. Rob Edwards will give it a good go because he's a brilliant manager and he's a really good uh, coach. But ultimately, it's going to be very, very difficult. But this is going to be a great experience for Luton, right, Kev? Yeah, you, you come up, you take a swing at it, but you don't overspend. I think that's the key. Another, I think what really came out of all the interviews afterwards was that it's a really tight-knit group. And I know it's easy to say that, and people do say that, oh, you know, I love this squad, blah, blah, blah. But you really sensed it. And obviously what happened to Tom Lockyer, Mm. you know, collapsing on the pitch, that was obviously something that could have really upset and unbalanced that team. And I thought it was notable that, he was very much in their thoughts. Obviously, they did celebrate and what have you, but until they knew he was okay, you could see that trepidation. And I think it did seem there was a real team spirit. And it's about not fracturing that by making too many signings, making the wrong signings. They've obviously recruited incredibly well and they have to continue to do that. So I think it's about striking that balance. Yes, you want to be competitive. You don't want to be embarrassed, but you don't want to bet everything on trying to stay up because it is going to be a really hard road. Let's hear from Rob Edwards on his sacking from Watford and his journey over the course of the season. I haven't stopped too much to think about it, to be honest. I mean, I know football's not always like this, but that's two promotions in two, um, in the first two years of management. And uh, all I know is with those two promotions has been one thing in common, and that's really good people. So I'm thankful to a lot of people because you don't achieve anything on your own these players are incredible the board so supportive the staff are are amazing i've got to say well done and congratulations to nathan jones as well he played a huge part in this club uh this club's rise john still the promotion from the national league mcarford the recruitment team there's so many people too many people to mention now but it's great that we're here now riding that wave um but where the club was to where we are now, I mean, it is an amazing journey. It was weird, actually, because he obviously broke down in tears about the Tom Lockyer situation after the game on Sky. Um, and we were talking about it afterwards. I was sitting next to the the Luton analyst and I'd watched those pictures back and I couldn't work out what happened. And then he found we found out that he'd gone off to hospital. Um, they then got an update. They said, oh, look, we can't tell you what's happened. So I was like, OK, fine, right. So we eventually got the statement that said, He'd collapsed. He was given oxygen on the pitch and in the tunnel, taken to hospital, monitored. Then the picture emerged of him celebrating, which was probably the best picture of of the weekend. So best wishes uh, to him. But it did sort of take the edge off the celebrations um, initially. Um, I do think Luton themselves deserve a lot of credit for the way that they have sort of handled the, the, the whole situation in terms of their rise back up through the leagues, they've, they've sort of embraced their their quirky home. They've embraced the fact that they aren't the the, the most purest of football playing clubs either. They they do play long ball, physical football. They get, but that's an art in itself, right? Getting people in the box, making sure that you choreograph great set pieces, come up with chances that are crafted from the second and third phase. If you don't get the initial one in, that that takes time and effort to to. To, to organise, but also the art of being physical, big, powerful and not fouling players every time the ball goes in the box because that that too, you, you need to be able to control. Yeah, and it just shows there are many different ways to get out of the championship because you've alluded to it already. Burnley were very total football under Vincent Company. They came away from that sort of direct approach under Sean Dyche and ended up cakewalking the league. Luton obviously did it very differently. And I, I do think they'll stick to their principles. They'll, they'll stick to that style. And I, I do think particularly at home, one or two of the, the big guns might be left with bloody noses. It probably won't be enough to get them over the line in, in terms of survival. And actually their recruitment is, is going to be really interesting because they're probably ahead of schedule 
in terms of getting into the Premier League. I wonder how Nathan Jones is feeling about this because he took charge of 21 of their matches. Um, so he played a big role. And actually, James Bree as well, who was watching in the stands, having quit Luton to go to Southampton, following Jones to become a Premier League player. He'll be in the Championship next season while his mates will be in the top flight. Yeah, it sometimes works like that, doesn't it? And uh, Nathan Jones does deserve credit for helping build that football club because he certainly had a, a major part of it. Mick Harford behind the scenes as well. Gary Sweet, the, the CEO um, and the chairman as well. Uh, when uh, Rob Edwards was promoted as a player uh, with Blackpool, he went on a lad's trip to Las Vegas to celebrate after getting up in the playoffs. I don't think, is there any trip uh, planned, Crook? Have you, have you heard about any? No, you wouldn't have uh, heard about a trip to Vegas because had they been going on one, you probably would have booked yourself on it as well. well we know I, that Rob is one they, of your They might football become friends. one of my adopt, adopted clubs. Luton yes, I thought they might be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they're going to embrace the media. Uh, so yeah. I'm all in favour of that. But, uh, I mean, you mentioned their celebrations were maybe a bit um, muted, in the immediate aftermath because of the Lockyer situation. I'm seeing pictures on social media this morning of, of Rudder Kampanzu posted by one of his teammates and the caption is, he's finally getting some sleep. So I think they've certainly <laughs> milked the celebration since <laughs> that game finished at, what, 7.30 on Saturday night? Uh, no celebrations for Borussia Dortmund this weekend. Let's head to Germany where they blew their chance to win a first Bundesliga title since 2012 in quite dramatic circumstances. I mean, this is one of those uh, situations where, you know, Sebastian Haller steps up to take a penalty under pressure. Kev, and I would have turned to you at that point and said, quickly, Kev, will he score? And you'd probably have said, yeah, he, he likely would. But he didn't, did he? And it was part of a huge meltdown. It was, it was a bad day at the office for Borussia Dortmund. It was horrible to watch um, because Borussia Dortmund only needed to match or better Bayern's result to win the title. And within 24 minutes, they were 2-0 down. And um, those goals came either side of that. Allaire penalty miss. Doesn't usually take penalties. Decided to take the responsibility. It was a good save by Finn Darman. But it was pure panic. You look at the first goal. What One of the things I think that's been really notable about Dortmund this season is that all of the dumb goals that would usually concede from set plays and all the cheap goals that usually give away, they've actually stopped that largely. And that's been a big part of them stepping forward. The first goal was classic Dortmund's uh, near post run, not tracked. Nobody anywhere near Andreas Hankolsen and he scores. And then the second goal is just across to the far post and Karim Monisivo's on his own. So 2-0 down and they just started to panic. And this is this they, is against Mainz. This is a game they should win. They're at home. They need to win for the yeah. final game of the season to win the Bundesliga. They're playing Mainz and they somehow find themselves 2-0 down in the blink of an eye. Bayern Munich think, wow, this is amazing. They're winning 1-0 now at uh, Cologne. As a result of that, the title is going there. Then there's another late twist. Because all of a sudden, Cologne equalise and yeah. the title is going back to Borussia Dortmund. And then. Yeah, well, uh, even if so at that stage, even if Dortmund had lost, they would have won the title. Yeah. But then Jamal Musiala comes on as a sub and this kid is 20. I'm going to call him kid, but he doesn't play like that. I mean, he's 20 years old. He comes on in the heat of a title deciding game smashes a shot into the bottom corner in the 89th minute <laughs> and suddenly Dortmund need to win the game and they found an equaliser in the sixth minute of stoppage time. Ironically, Niklas Zula, who left Bayern to join Dortmund in the summer and they couldn't find that third goal. They didn't have Jude Bellingham. He was injured. So that was a horrible moment for him to be kept out of the biggest game of his club career to date. They put him and on the bench even though he wasn't fit just to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah, and you had Terzic, who is the coach who was born 30 kilometres down the road, has stood on the terraces many, many times as a fan. He was in floods of tears as the yellow wall chanted his name. Marco Royce, born in Dortmund, joined the club as a kid, has gone back for a second spell, desperate to win the Meisterschale in floods of tears. It was horrible. And Dan O'Hagan, the, the commentator, said, as the cameras were looking at it, it was like intruding on personal grief because they were so upset, so empty. 
And it was horrendous for the league, really. And that's nothing against Bayern. But if Bayern, for all their problems and all of their politics, can still can win, still win yeah. the league, that's not a good look. It's not. And uh, Bayern uh, obviously profited their 11th league title in a row uh, from them. And then they immediately sacked chairman Oliver Kahn and Hassan Salihamidzic um, at uh, full time. Uh, what I mean, I, the reason being, they obviously were just unhappy with the way that the club had been run over the course of of, of yeah. the of the season. I don't know what that means for Thomas Tuchel, by the way, um, who who came in. I think it strengthens his position. You do? Sam, okay. Potentially, yeah. I, I, there was a big debate in Germany afterwards about what does Tuchel do now because Didi Hamann, who was working uh, for Sky, said he felt that actually Tuchel might walk because the people who brought him into the club suddenly weren't there and he might feel that it was a good time to go. I wonder about that because I think if he does stay, suddenly he's got a lot of power because what they've done in terms of the CEO position, they've got rid of Oliver Kahn, who's obviously somebody with a big football reputation, and replaced him with a numbers guy, really, Jan Christian Dresden. And so suddenly they're going to be turning to Tuchel and saying, well, who would you like to sign? Where do you think we should go with this? And so he's won the league in difficult circumstances. Now he can really put his stamp on it. Let's see what happens there. Uh, congratulations to João Cancelo, who managed to pick up a league winner's medal in the Premier League and pick up one in the Bundesliga as well. OK, uh, let's quickly go through our standout performances in the Premier League this season. Our end-of-season awards, we're going to give out a couple of uh, awards here. Player of the Year, um, are we having any uh, discussion about it or are we just giving it to Erling Haaland? Just I give it to we're him. probably just giving it to <laughs> Erling Haaland, aren't we? <laughs> OK, look. Give it to him twice. He also scooped the Young Player of the Season, which is probably nonsense, bearing in mind that he's 22 years of age and it should be surely for under-21s or kids that are teenagers. You know, give me an Inciso or, uh, or a Jacob Ramsey or someone like that. Uh, who who are we going for in terms of young player of the year, Crook? Well, under our rules or under the, the rules of of the competition, no, just, you want just, us to just, pick just, someone just, under twenty one. Pick pick someone younger who's actually a young player, not someone who's been around for four years. Do you know what? I'm going to stick to my South Coast beat and I'm going to give it to Nciso. Actually, I think the impact that he's made on on Brighton in the second half of the season shouldn't be understated. Uh, and actually, the impact he's made on convincing Roberto De Zerbi that, that Brighton know what they're doing in terms of their recruitment yeah. because there were one or two whispers in, in January that maybe he wanted to bring his own players in and then he saw this kid in CISO in training and thought, actually, Tony Bloom knows what he's, what he's all about. Evan Ferguson probably deserves a, a sort of casual mention as well for good performances and the, the fact that he got nearly, I think he got double figures in terms of goals over the course of the season for, for Brighton. That's, that's pretty good for a teenager. Um, I think Jacob Ramsey has been terrific. I think I'd probably give it to him. Kev, who are you going to go for? Established, but still very young. Bukayo Saka. He's 21. Mm. He's 21 and performing at a level whereby he's the guy they look to. Loads of goals, loads of assists. And I, I do think even though he's established, I think he does deserve that award because he was such a massive part of what Arsenal did well. And he's already got an established track record. So I'm very excited to see what he does over the next few years. But he failed to score in uh, or assist in Arsenal's last nine Premier League games before yesterday, didn't he? Just when the heat started to come on, does that sort of temper people's enthusiasm for giving him awards? I think it's partially a team thing, though, as well, isn't yeah. it? I think the team started to malfunction. I think the balance... The, the, the interesting thing about them was as soon as Saliba got injured they really started to struggle. And you, you and saw... Party lost form at the same time, didn't he? I mean, he started to yeah. go on a wander and leave gaps and that that caused them a real issue. Manager of the season, Arteta will be nominated, I'm sure. Pep Guardiola may win the treble crook. You, you probably have to give it to him, wouldn't you? Uh, well, I put up Gary O'Neill um, when we did this on, on the boot room. And you're right, you know, Guardiola obviously is, is, is a top candidate. But, and, and you're going to jump on me here. I think there's a case for Eric Ten Hag. They finished third, Manchester United. They lost their first two games. They're in two cup finals. They've got the first trophy for six years. There's all this uncertainty around the the, the takeover. I don't think he could have done an awful lot more in his first season. I think he won more games in his debut campaign than any Manchester United manager in history. I think he's been brilliant. 
They did play more games than any Manchester United manager in history, to be fair. They played 61 matches, I think, and he won 41 of them. So, uh, well done uh, to him. That's quite... Who who had them finishing above Liverpool and Chelsea at the start of the season? And Tottenham? Not after two games, that's for sure. Um, Yeah, but it's Manchester United, Crookie. He's not taken... Coventry and made them. He, he didn't take over Brighton and not get in uh, their first five games. Uh, didn't win in any of the first five games and then finish six and take them to Europe, which is probably worth a mention. Roberto De Zerbi, who's done a terrific well, he's job. Mine. I think he's probably yeah, he... uh, the one I would nominate. Although um, I, I think Eddie Howe has done a terrific job to take a team from a side that was struggling against relegation to now playing in the Champions League for the first time in 20 years. So you've gone for De Zerbi, have you? Okay, thank you very much. Yeah. Cheers for listening throughout the uh, season. Uh, we'll be back very shortly. Uh, Sevilla Roma is uh, on the uh, uh, TalkSport Network this week, the Europa League final Wednesday night. We've got the FA Cup final on Saturday as well. We'll be back after that to review uh, what happened and to give Manchester City a big clap, I think, for for maybe uh, getting two planks of their treble crook. You're looking forward to that game? Are you, are you going to that one? Because you're following <laughs> City now, aren't you? You're going to Istanbul and all that. You're sort of like half half, half red, half blue. Uh, definitely not half red, half blue. Uh, but I'm working <laughs> at both games. And I've, just, I've, I've got this premonition. I've been saying it as a joke. But the more I say it, the more I think it will come true. Manchester United won Manchester City nil. Valt Veghorst to pop up with a winner. There you go. Get your money on that. Okay, yeah. Yesterday he said uh, it'll be it'll be one nil Everton against Bournemouth. Michael Keane to score the goal. I got the team sheet. It's not my hand on the bench. Uh, I got the score no. right. Oh, that wasn't that difficult. They've won every game that they've won since Sean Dyche took over. One nil, apart from the five one at Brighton. Um, thank you very much for your contribution. Uh, I will see you very shortly. Uh, remember, this week on Talksport, more live football than anyone else. 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.